It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm going to start you off today with a look at the Bengals' odds of that number one overall pick, as we have done since the season got off to a very, very poor start. This has turned into a weekly update looking at football outsiders' odds for the Bengals at getting that first overall pick. Then Joe will come back onto the podcast. You'll get him for a solo segment, reflecting a little bit on Tua's injury, and then getting into what went right. Joe's actually very high on the Bengals' performance against the Raiders, and for a lot of the reasons I talked about, they got some good performances from some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball, got a good performance from the running game, and there are individuals that we can look at, and there are coaching changes that we can look at and say, hey, these things are starting to improve a little bit, and we'll have to see if any of that can sustain itself going forward. But for now, our weekly look at the Football Outsiders' chances for the Bengals to get that number one overall pick. The gap between the Bengals and the rest of the field and the race for the number one pick narrows as the Washington Redskins lose to the New York Jets. This is your Locked on Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko from the Locked on Bengals podcast. While the playoff picture continues to look the same and is far away from the minds of Bengals fans where the Patriots, Ravens, Saints, San Francisco 49ers, Green Bay Packers are all overwhelmingly essentially locked in to make the playoffs, the race for the number one pick stays very interesting on a week-to-week basis. Especially with the Washington Redskins continuing to lose games, they've only got one win, and looking at the remaining games, there's only one game where you feel like they might have a shot at being competitive, barring an unforeseen and significant upset. And that game comes against the New York Giants. A lot can happen between now and then, but it's interesting because that game happens the same time the Bengals go down to Miami and play the Dolphins. Looking at the Bengals' next few weeks on the schedule, they played the Pittsburgh Steelers this week, of course, at home. Many Bengals fans, myself included, will be thrilled to see them beat the Steelers because beating the Steelers always feels good for this franchise, and this week is no exception. The Steelers are absolutely decimated by injury on offense where Juju Smith-Schuster isn't expected to play. James Conner isn't expected to play. Mason Rudolph continues to look pretty bad. Deontay Johnson might even be dinged up for the Steelers. So it's hard to say who's going to even be playing at the skill positions for the Steelers. Now that defense still is a significant problem and the Bengals don't seem to have it in them to score points. But the Raiders offense is much better than what the Bengals will get from the Steelers this week in Cincinnati. And the Bengals' defense last week did a very, very good job, as Joe will talk about on the Lockdown Bengals podcast today. The the defense looks like it's improving. So can Pittsburgh score enough points in Cincinnati to keep the Bengals winless? Well, if you're interested in that number one overall pick, you have to hope so. On the other hand, Maybe you just root for the Washington Redskins the rest of the way so that the Bengals can beat the Steelers and feel good about at least getting that one win. 
course, the Bengals also played the Jets the very following week with Sam Darnold back in the saddle for the Jets. They look a little bit better, less hapless than they did for the rest of the season, but that's another home game. And Sam Darnold is prone to his ups and downs within the same game, and we'll see if he can lead the Jets to a win in that game. The Bengals also have two games left against the Cleveland Browns, who will be without Miles Garrett for the rest of the season now, after he was indefinitely suspended for hitting Mason Rudolph in the head with a helmet, which is totally fair. I don't think that any of us would argue about that. But the Browns are dysfunctional, and while they are certainly a more talented roster right now, they haven't been able to put it together over the course of this season, and while I expect the Browns to win those games, there's certainly a realistic chance that the Bengals sneak one of them out. They play the Patriots in Week 15, and obviously the Bengals will upset the Patriots in Cincinnati. I don't think we really have second thoughts about that. But after they lose that game to the Patriots, they play the Dolphins in Week 16, which is the same time Washington plays the Giants. The Giants also, interestingly, don't have a ton of super winnable games on the schedule, but the one to watch for both Miami and for the Giants is week 15 when the Dolphins play the Giants. So somebody has to win those games. New York plays the Dolphins and the Washington Redskins in back-to-back weeks. Miami plays New York Giants and Cincinnati, and the Jets, they don't seem to be necessarily in the picture at this point. All that said, with the way the games went so far this week, Football Outsiders narrows that gap to 8%, an 8% advantage for the Bengals to keep that number one overall pick because if they do win a game and Washington does not win a game the rest of the way, Washington has tons of clearance in the strength of schedule comparison, and that's a tiebreaker. The Bengals' strength of schedule, which includes the games they haven't played yet this year, sits at 568, while the Washington strength of schedule is 525. So that could close, but that is a significant gap to reverse. And it would take the teams that the Bengals have played this year and will play later in this year losing some games. Of course, Pittsburgh is part of that list. The Browns are part of that list. So those two teams' fates have a significant impact on the Bengals' strength of schedule. But they also have the the Ravens, who are going to win a lot of games, the Seahawks, who are going to win a lot of games, the 49ers, who are going to win a lot of games. So it will be tough for that strength of schedule gap to close. And if you are rooting for the Bengals to get that first overall pick, especially in the wake of Tua Tungo-Viola's injury, to guarantee themselves a shot at the quarterback they want, it is looking tricky to get there. In just a minute, you'll get some optimism from my good friend and colleague, Joe Goodberry. But before then, a quick reminder that you can get $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Use promo code locked on when you sign up. And if you can't remember this later when you get home, all of our offers are on lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. Joe Goodberry here. I didn't get a chance to give my take on the game and speak. I was out. I had work yesterday. Jake took over the show completely. And because of our schedule, I'll just take one segment today. And while I'm not going to spend the entire, I could, I want to, I'd love to spend the entire segment talking about Tua Tungvaloa and his injury and how that affects everything and how we should all be upset about that one. And I think a lot of people in the NFL circles are. I think a lot of different fan bases are. And even if you are, like, focused in on Joe Burrow, like, Joe Burrow's our guy. That's That's the one I want. If that's you saying that, well, you want to have options. And you want to have options because if you like three quarterbacks, well, then this team can win a couple games. Right? If you pick third, you're okay. 
If you like two quarterbacks, well, you better make sure that you're picking top two or three. And if you really like one guy, if you're, I'm all in on Joe Burrow, then you might want this team to go 0-16 based on the strength of schedule and how the Redskins look. Oh my God, they look like shit. So yeah, if you're Joe Burrow all the way, and I'm probably like 80-20, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, I'm still in on Justin Herbert. I still like him. I just think, you know, I'm not going to do it unless the Bengals win a couple games and they're picking third, fourth, fifth, whatever that is, and Herbert's on the board. I would be, I'd be for that. I think his upside is definitely worth it. Although I want Joe Burrow real bad. So for me, the Bengals go into Oakland and I'm like, okay, here we go. You could win this game, but let's lose while showing some progress. And wow, they did. Look at the defensive side. I, I could focus on the defense, I think, for this entire segment. Because for the first time, I think, since week one, now they've had stretches. They've had some drives. The defense is an issue. They're 32nd ranked in almost every category, right? But they completely shut down a Raiders offense for the most part. That's been pretty good this year. Derek Carr's been really good. And they, a Raiders O-line that's given up 12 sacks all year. Derek Carr, that I think only threw three interceptions all year. You get three sacks and a pick off Carr. You get Josh Jacobs to fumble, who's the offensive rookie of the year at this point. You hold him to 17 points. You hold a defense or an offense to 17 points. You win in this league with a normal average offense. 12 games, at least, right? At least 12 games. So for me, this was a clear game to say, wow, Ryan Finley is not that guy at all. Not right now. In fact, he... He might not even be a backup right now. It's funny how when he got in the game, yeah, they focused on the run and they've gotten the run going and that's been good. It's been really good. Mixon's been really good. Besides besides a couple um, drop passes from Mixon and Geo that were late in the game from Geo. The the screen from Mixon, I think, could have went for big yards. Overall, good game for the O-line outside of John Jerry, right? Because he got destroyed by a rookie. Kind of funny how Sam Hubbard, destroyed their rookie Colton Miller last year. And we're like, oh, three sacks Sam Hubbard against the Raiders. And then they get Max Crosby to do the same against the Bengals with four sacks. So overall, though, it's funny how the receivers now can't get open with Ryan Finley out there. Everything is condensed. The passing offense is even worse than before. I think that's to be expected. So defensive, though. I want to stay on the defensive side. What are the major things? What changed? Number one, Preston Brown was released. Insert Jermaine Pratt. And sure, Hardy Nickerson played. Jordan Evans played. They're looking for somebody to make some plays. And in fact, I noticed Jordan Evans a couple times on the positive end. Like I always had. He's always flashed. But you get Preston Brown out of there and you insert Jermaine Pratt, who is a rookie. But he's fast. And he's into every play. And he's a very, very good tackler. Maybe at this point, he might be the best tackler on the team. He has strong hands. And I thought it helped Nick Vigil, too. Besides that touchdown to Foster Moreau, where obviously Vigil didn't see him leak out of the backside and Moreau's left wide open, which, you know, whatever, that happens. Vigil was active and all over the place. He Very good game from the interior of the defense for the first time in a long time because the defensive tackles were playing well. Vigil was playing well. Tremaine Pratt was running around. Now there were some wide open plays to Darren Waller down the end where I thought, eh, you know, Preston Brown probably gets beat on those also, so real no upgrade there yet. 
But hopefully there were some when I watched the film where I say, okay, there's Nick Vigil and, and Jermaine Pratt using some athleticism to stay with the, their guys, maybe forcing Derek Carter to pull down the ball and the pass rush was there. So the big, big thing for me was the athleticism looked like it was turned up a little bit. And number two was the communication thing. Preston Brown typically calls the plays. Nick Vigil does too. But it got switched to Sean Williams. And there were no defensive breakdowns. Sure, there were a couple. And the Bengals have been getting exploited on splash plays more than any other defense in the league. And there was a couple this week. But mostly because I think the Raiders had a really good offensive game plan. Did you see how many times they were stacking receivers and getting switch releases? And what I mean by that is, let's say... uh, if you don't think your receivers can get open versus man, a lot of offenses will do this. They'll stack them up. So put three guys on one side. And it could be two receivers in the tight end. But you get three weapons on one side. And they're all within a few yards of each other. Maybe even two of them are behind one, one behind two. And what it does is the corners have to back up a little bit and say, okay, we're in man. I've got the outside guy. You've got the guy who goes to the middle. And you got the guy that goes inside. Easy enough. But then the receivers will all switch the releases. So the guy that's on the inside may take a step inside. So now the, the inside corner goes with him, and then he runs to the outside. So now that inside corner's got to fight through traffic to get there. And they may just all switch right at the release and just, you know, crisscross each other. Simple concept, but it works effectively. And you saw Hunter Renfro get a catch on a third down on William Jackson where he's like, damn, you just, you know, there's nothing you can do on that because it's such a good concept and it works. And Hunter Renfro, with his quickness, Jackson's never going to be able to get through all that traffic and get inside and and break up that play. So, what happens? The very next time they run it, Jesse Bates is like, all right, William Jackson, do your thing. I'm going to crash down on that slant. So he's going to switch release again, and as soon as he sees it, Bates took off and runs down and intercepts the pass. And for the first time I looked at it, like, there you are, Jesse Bates. There you are. Two weeks in a row with a pick. Man. That's big. That's that's like believing he's he's back. You know, it's, it's two impact plays in a row for, for Jesse Bates in terms of uh, last week and this week. You like it. You love to see it. Those are the things we want to see. We want to see the progress. And then Carl Lawson got a sack. Sam Hubbard was active. Carlos Dunlap had a half sack. Geno Atkins with a sack and a half. When the offense can put points on the board, extend drives, and I'm saying the offense put points on the board because they got a touchdown, seven points on the, in the first quarter. They, the Bengals defense comes back right away and gets a sack on a third down. It helps when you have the lead, or at least you're close in the game. And then you can run the ball. The Bengals have been. I wish they'd run a little bit more. 30 times for Mixon last week, 15 times this week. And I'm not a big proponent of running, but you're getting almost negative points added with Ryan Finley throwing each time. So keep... Grinding it with Mixon, even Geo's had a couple really nice plays. You have to think that this is the game plan going forward. Keep pounding it with those guys. And in a seven-point game, they should have run it with Mixon more than 15 times. They threw it 33, I believe. That's just not the recipe for this team right now. So defensively, strong performances again from Dark West Denard. How many times have we threw, he was giving up 50% completions, through uh, the three games he's played now, I can't even like think of a big play or any type of play that he's given up. He's playing really, really well. I'm very happy with him. The safeties weren't picked on again this week. 
I, they had a couple of big plays. Throw Williams had a couple, and it looks like breakdowns in zones or just, you know, the bunch formation stuff was giving the Bengals issues because they, they play a lot of man now. So there was that. But overall, the defense was very good. I think Brandon Wilson getting a few more snaps out there. I really wish we'd see Clayton Vigilum again one day. We're not seeing him at all anymore. It's kind of funny how he's completely fallen off any chance. Brandon Wilson's just overtaken him completely as the number three safety. Wilson's playing a lot. And actually, I don't know if you guys noticed this on special teams. Wilson being the one gunner is deadly. My God, they haven't had a gunner like this since Andrew Hawkins. Like, his speed is insane. He breaks free of these guys. These punts aren't going anywhere. Anywhere. You look at Kevin Huber's stats this year, and there's been almost no return yards on him. They are fair catching everything. It's really one phase that's really playing well. I think Brandon Wilson should be a Pro Bowl special teamer if it's not for uh, at least kick returning, which, again, he ripped one that I thought was going to go somewhere until the kicker caught him, but whatever. So I got a few more minutes here on my end of this, and I'm going to uh, go back on the offensive side a little bit. Glad to see that Auden Tate is healthy and okay after taking a vicious hit to the neck. I thought he was almost decapitated, not to make light of it, but, man, your head's not supposed to bend that way. Shout out to the creativity on offense. We saw some more jet sweeps handoffs to Tyler Boyd. We saw some fun little things where Giovanni Bernard was coming back across and taking handoffs. He had some nice big plays out of that. Two running backs in the backfield going empty much more than before, which was spreading out the defense. I think was helping out Ryan Finley a lot. I wish they would have done this a lot more with Andy Dalton and you came away from this game, at least I did, and said, is there progress? Maybe the defense is playing a little bit better. Maybe the running game is getting off the ground. If you can get back some of these receivers, mainly A.J. Green and John Ross, you should be able to open this up even with Ryan Finley at quarterback because Green will do that right now. They're just they're saying, they're playing one free safety and saying, okay, beat us to the outside, and Ryan Finley can't do it. Um, so... That changes when Green and, and Ross are out there because they won't want to risk that. That you know any play can beat them over the top. But I came away saying, is there progress? A little bit of creativity going on? All right, I'll take it. And I mean, because we got to keep losing. I'm completely with it. But progress, creativity, I'm down. So I came away very excited. Very fun game. I actually want to watch the tape for the first time in a few weeks. I actually want to dive in and see how these guys are playing because I kind of skimmed through the tape the last three or four weeks because it's been so boring. There's really been no type of sign of progress or anything like that. So I'm definitely jumping into this and I'll have more reports on this tomorrow and and what I find. And mission accomplished, 0-10. So that's Joe giving you his thoughts on the Raiders game. A lot of the same stuff I said, right? We see a lot of things the same way. He was a little bit rosier on the interior offensive line than pro football focus was in particular. Something that we need to keep an eye on when we rewatch this film from the end zone angle is going to be Billy Price's performance. PFF absolutely killed Billy Price in this game. A week after he had one of his better games in his NFL career as a pass blocker, looks like he had major issues with Maurice Hurst, who was a favorite of ours in the draft a couple years ago. But while we're on the topic of PFF, a few season bests. The run game got its best grade of the year. This is two weeks in a row that the running game has been very, very good, despite run blocking continuing to grade below average. 
Run game nearly approached an 85 overall grade after last week. 75 was previously the season high. On the defensive side of the ball, the Bengals matched a season high in their run defense grade at 82.3 and had their second best overall game as a defense grading out at 69.8. That's second only to the Seahawks game when they had a 72 give or take. Overall, the pass rush was working well that week at 76.8, and we saw some of the same this week with the pass rush going okay for the Bengals. Carl Lawson got his sack. Sam Hubbard had some pressures. Of course, Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap had a couple sacks between the two of them. One of them was a shared sack. PFF credits both of those guys. So all of the defensive line had a great game. But like I said yesterday on the podcast, the Bengals' best performer and the most noteworthy one that I saw when I watched it live or on replay because I didn't see the whole game live was Josh Tupo. Tupo, of course, had those multiple run stops. PFF credits him with four along with that forced fumble. Just a very, very good game for nose tackle on his 38 snaps. Almost grades out at a 92. Barely misses a PFF team of the week. And Tupo has been rock solid for this team all season. And I would love to see him extended. That essentially makes the Bengals set at the nose tackle position. Between him and Andrew Billings, it's hard to get a ton better than that at nose tackle without significant investment. And it will be interesting to see what those two command on the free agent market. Rennell Wren also had 13 snaps, and this is worth pointing out because of the position that he was lined up at. The Bengals are using Wren when they go with three down linemen for the most part, and they're putting him at left end. So in a 3-4, that means that he's probably lining up between a 3 and a 5 tech, which means he's between the guard and center or between the guard and tackle. And he's getting a few snaps at regular defensive tackle, but mostly is going out there in that 3-4 alignment. And he's playing both inside and outside the tackle. So interesting to see where they're using Ronell Wren. They've gotten away from putting him as a just regular 4-3 kind of defensive tackle. 3-tech and he's being used a lot more as a 5 technique in those 3 down lineman formations. Which, to Lou Anarumo's credit, using the multiple fronts, getting the getting these guys in the defensive line that has a lot of talent. Different looks at different spots. A little bit of credit to him. So good for Rennell Wren getting 13 snaps. That is his third, fourth most of the season. In week three, six, and seven, he topped 20 snaps in those games. And I've got to say, for Wren, who's a guy who I thought was going to need quite a bit of time to figure it out coming out, he is a brute strength, good athlete type with not a ton of production or refinement to his game. He's been pretty good especially the last few weeks on his limited snap. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he takes a leap in year two and later this season, if at all. So hopefully he's one of the young guys that continues to get some more snaps late this year. Also worth noting for Nick Vigil, he had his best game of the year by, I think, quite a bit, grading out over 70. Really good game for him. So kudos to Vigil. Got to give him some credit where it's due because we have ripped into him when he's been bad this year and he stepped up. He did give up all five catches he was targeted on. Five catches for five targets. 26 yards though. That's pretty good. He was making the tackles and not giving up a ton of yards after catch. Darquez Denard remains a solid addition to the secondary as well. He's one of the better run defenders on the team. Solid tackler. He also gave up all five catches he was targeted on for 51 yards, but wasn't 
dang too hard for it by PFF, still grading out above average in coverage. So Darquez Denard, good to have him back. If they could just get healthy across the board, which they, they never will, right? But they've got three of their better corners on the team at this point. I think right now you have to say corner is a need. William Jackson playing through an injury hasn't been great. Gave up five catches on seven targets yesterday for 70 yards, including a couple big first downs, I want to say. So with William Jackson not playing anywhere near his level that he played at as a rookie, with Darquez Denard, a free agent, with Drake Kirkpatrick, a question mark as to whether or not he's going to be around in the future. B.W. Webb remains a stopgap kind of guy, a fourth corner who you're okay with. They're going to need a corner. This is not something that we've talked about yet, but despite all of the investment for the Bengals in the last 15 years at corner, here we are again, looking like they will need to address the cornerback position in the next year or two. Of course, they desperately need a linebacker. Jermaine Pratt was on the field for 46 snaps, didn't grade very well, had some issues in coverage, but this is what you're going to get from a guy who's learning. All that's fine for me. Joe also mentioned Brandon Wilson as a special teamer, so I just wanted to take a look at what PFF had to say about the special teams grades because I've been very complimentary of Stanley Morgan in this area as a gunner, and Joe's been impressed with Brandon Wilson. This week, Wilson was very solid as a gunner. He had a 73.2 special teams grade. That's pretty good, but Leroy Reynolds has been the standout for the Bengals on special teams with an overall 82.8 grade. Stanley Morgan took a bit of a step back, I think, this week at least. And it was noticeable when I watched him too. I don't know that he was getting as many punt coverage snaps. It looks like they're using Tony McRae in that role a little bit and Hardy Nickerson as well now that he is active. Not as many opportunities for Stanley Morgan on special teams this week as he had had in the previous few weeks. Still, special teams remains the strength of this team despite the field goal kicker who missed two attempts. I know only... One attempt counted, but he missed both tries, including the one that he was froze out on by John Gruden from 50-plus. Continues to be, you know, mediocre at best, I want to say. Kevin Huber, though, another nice game. Only one of his punts was returned. Gotta appreciate that from the veteran Cincinnati stalwart at punter. Special teams grades, punt coverage team in particular. Looking good. So with the Bengals continuing to race for that number one overall pick, it is, in fact, Steelers week, which you may have forgotten in lieu of the fact that the Bengals are 0-10. Zach Taylor says he doesn't want to go to 0-11, isn't thinking about 0-16, continues his mantra of, we're thinking about one week at a time. So great. The Bengals get a really weak Pittsburgh team, and if you are the type of fan that likes to beat Pittsburgh, and I think that's every type of Bengals fan, I think we're all rooting for a Bengals win this week. At least, I think I am, despite the ramifications I talked about earlier with Washington. I just uh, don't know that I can bring myself to root for the Steelers and for them to remain in the playoff picture. It would be a significant damage, significant detriment to their playoff aspirations if they drop this one in Cincinnati. So who day for this week? Let's go beat the Steelers. I think we can all unite behind that. Until tomorrow, Bengals fans, when you'll get that crossover episode with the Steelers, guys. Have a good one.